Wherever cancer is, Hancock Health will fight. In any part of you and in all corners of East Central Indiana. From Indianapolis to Greenfield to Knightstown and beyond. From hospital rooms to family rooms, we fight. With technology and medicine. With care backed by the wisdom of Mayo Clinic. For you, for your family, and for your future. We fight cancer here. HancockHealth.org slash cancer. Good morning. It is Thursday, August 24th. It is five minutes after 10. You're listening to Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. He's Rob Kendall. My name is Casey Daniels. And if you'd like to watch us, you can. We're on YouTube. Type in Kendall and Casey into the YouTube search bar. So, Rob, yesterday you did a fabulous job of spearheading that interview with Curtis Hill. And uh, during that interview, he said that if he's elected governor, he would not impose mask mandates. And that was was quite a statement. It got him a lot of attention. Yes. Today, just recently, the lieutenant governor, Suzanne Crouch, has says she wants to eliminate individual income tax by the end of her first term if she's elected governor. Okay, yes, we will get back into all the debate stuff in just a moment. But one of the things that I was sitting there watching the debate last night, I'm thinking to myself, there are so many people who are so focused on this meaningless junior varsity exercise here tonight who aren't paying attention at all to the things, the things, plural, that are impacting them the most. And that is the governments that run the states where they live and the governments that run the communities where they live. And this is a great example of how if you're not paying attention, if you're not zoned in, you run Indiana is a great example of how if you're not paying attention and not zoned in, you run a real risk of electing people who do not have your interest at heart and because of some meaningless letter have, can have do con you into thinking that you are amigos or palskis or share common interest. And this is a great example. So as you say, Curtis comes out, does that uh, very well-received interview with us yesterday, picks up a lot of support. People going, hey, look, the masks are coming back. There's a good chance. Mm -hmm. The vaccines, the whatever. We got to start thinking about voting for somebody that is going to stand up for us. Well, Suzanne Crouch certainly can't do that. Silent Suzanne. Well, she had her chance. Yeah, I mean, she she could have done that. Wholeheartedly supportive of Holcomb, Holcomb locking the state down, doing mask mandates, um, you know, trying to put you in jail for not wearing a mask, etc. So she has no leg to stand on with that. So what's she doing? This is why we talked about the benefit of Curtis Hill being in this race because he is a person with a pulse who is functioning <laughs> like a human being, which is different than many of the rest of them. And so her response is, well, you know, he stole the limelight yesterday. I must do something. I can't come out and say I'm against masking or shutting the state down. Well, it's unbelievable. And the box Republicans put themselves in is they really don't want tax cuts. If you look at what happens in this state, the air quote tax cuts that Republicans do overwhelmingly benefit a very select group of people, which is either mega corporations or very rich, wealthy people who donate to these Republican politicians. And what will happen when Republicans do these modest tax cuts, whatever, is they'll raise air quote fees 
somewhere else. So, yeah, you might have got a cut over here, but they're not cutting the government. They're not cutting expenses. They're simply figuring out a way to screw you, regular person going to work each day, while emboldening their rich donor lobbyist friends. And this is why the Republicans are totally stuck on the property taxes and the gas tax because they found two taxes in property taxes. You got to live somewhere and the gas tax. You got to go to work. You got to go to the grocery store where you can't opt out of those taxes. They have done that by design. They have done that deliberately to screw you. So Suzanne Crouch is in a bit of a pickle because, well, she can't come out against masking and she can't come out against lockdowns or anything else. So she goes, well, let's propose a tax cut. Okay, well, which one can we do? Well, we can't do the property taxes because we're totally beholden to the angry red-shirted teachers. We can't do the gas tax because that's our little never-ending slush fund over there. So I know... We'll propose ending the income tax. <laughs> she said Hoosiers need to keep more of their money to secure their livelihood in the era of Bidenomics. Groceries, energy prices, interest rates, and other household expenses have all trended in the wrong dire- direction since 21, and I'm determined to help people in any way I can. Okay, so seven states in the nation have no individual income tax, and this is still the second largest source of tax revenue for the state of Indiana brings in roughly seven and a half to eight billion dollars each year. Uh, So this is going to require shifting that tax burden elsewhere. So it's just one large shell game, isn't it? Yeah. So let's do a little math here. All right. Um, Just uh, as an example of this, let's say uh, you make $60,000 a year and there's currently an income tax cut in place. It's going down very slowly over time. Let's just say it's 3%. I think it's still a little bit higher than 3%. I think it's 3.2. They just 3.15 is okay, what Indiana perfect. is. It'll be eventually within the next decade. I mean, they, they slow walked it. It was like the tortoise and the tortoise of the hare. But let's uh, times, I'm doing math here on my cellular telephone. Uh, 0.03. Uh, let's see here. So that if you made six, if you made sixty thousand dollars a year, three percent of that is eighteen hundred dollars. So you would make that would get you eighteen hundred dollars if they absolutely got rid of it as a collective. For many many people, when you couple the gas and the property taxes together. That is going to far eclipse $1,800, and especially the increases that people have seen between the gas and the property taxes since Silent Suzanne and the high-tax Holcomb and Rod and Todd, the Flanders, good-time Flanders fun boys, have been calling the shots over there. They are targeting, whenever they do any sort of reform, they are targeting that reform at people that are, are going to be most benefited based on you know, an income level. That's always what it is. Look at the sweetheart real estate deal set up through the Economic Development Corporation. Who does that benefit? They're taking money from you. You're paying taxes. And they they want you to believe that Eli Lilly, the largest drug manufacturer in the world, is incapable of putting a real estate deal together without the state of Indiana intervening. Okay, it, it, It's not that I'm against an income tax cut. Not at all. But these tax cuts are never offset by spending cuts. And there's always... 
things you don't notice that happen, and they call them fees now because they're not going to call them tax increases. And it's always fees on regular people. While if you cut the income tax, the super rich guy gets a huge benefit out of it. So much for the two-year task force that's going to look into this. But Suzanne Crouch, she's anticipating that more revenue could come in from economic growth. And you alluded to that, exactly what's going on in Boone County. And later in the show, we're going to be speaking with Donald Rainwater, and he talks about what's going on with the Wilson Farm Market, how they're going to have to move because their property is being taken over by eminent domain. Here's the problem, Casey. With to build the, that tech corridor. And we, we have had this conversation with multiple people on the show about the, well, why are you against economic development? I'm not. My problem with the economic development is it never results in anything meaningful re- for regular people. Look at what has happened under Holcomb with all of these times they paved paradise and put up a parking lot. All of that money has come in and it has gone into legalized vote buying, into massive growth of government. There have been no major changes, despite all this supposed, hey, we're the greatest business climate and money is flowing in and we can't. There have been no meaningful changes to tax reform in this state during the past seven years under Holcomb, Hupfer, Silent Suzanne Incorporated. What they have done is they were forced into giving you a one-time tax increase because they screwed up and couldn't spend the money fast enough, and so it triggered the automatic refund. Then because they had so much because they couldn't spend the federal money fast enough, they had to do another very small tax uh, return. And what'd they do? They changed the state law to ensure... Well, even if we can't spend it next uh, fast enough the next time, you're still not going to get it. This is the Republican Party. If all if the Republicans were committed to fiscal discipline and said, "Hey, we are we have flatlined our budget since 2017, and all this excess revenue is going to tax reform, property taxes. We haven't raised the gas tax. We're cutting income taxes." I'm not as upset about economic development. But the problem for me is, and for many conservatives, all this destroying of farmland that have been in in families for generations that was the identity, and and, uh, there's nothing more closely associated with Indiana than the character of the state, which is predominantly farmland. The destruction of all of this, all it's going to is growth of government, government intrusion, government spending. It's doing nothing for us. Okay, so Crouch said that she would accomplish eliminating the income state tax uh, by not raising other taxes, but by cutting spending and limiting whoa, government whoa, growth. Whoa, 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 Yeah. You're telling me the lady who's mm-hmm. been the lieutenant governor yeah. for seven years. Uh-huh. Suzanne Crouch has been the lieutenant governor for seven years and has not said a single solitary word as you have had record government, record spending, record taxes or fees or whatever you want to call them every single year under Eric Holcomb. You're telling me that I'm supposed to believe now that she all of a sudden has found the strength of 10 fiscal conservatives plus two, and she's going to be super devoted to cutting spending in the state of Indiana. Yep, she said her administration is going to create a commission (laughs) to examine every government agency and department and identify where cuts could be made. She hasn't done that in the past seven years, but as soon as she is elected into office, that's what she's going to do. So which which will get it done first, her commission or this task force that is going to get it done? By the way, the Indiana primary election is May 7th, 2024. Put that on your calendar, everyone. Wait, before we go to a break, I got to make sure I understood you correctly in this press release. (laughs) 
the woman who has been the lieutenant governor for the past seven years claims she needs a commission mm-hmm. to figure out where yeah. to cut the government. Yeah, her administration would create a commission. Get lost, lady. <laughs> it is 17 minutes after 10. It's Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC. Did you find it interesting that Fox News had a massive Democracy 24 logo for the debate? It wasn't Constitutional Republic. It wasn't Republican debates. It was Democracy 24. Well, here was my question about Fox News. So I, uh, as you know, I do not have cable television. Mm -hmm. I do have a neighbor who has cable television, (laughs) though. Thank you, Mike. You've been to his house. Yes. So I did go over there to to watch the, uh, the debate. And got there about five minutes before the thing started. Turn on Fox News. And for some reason, so this is a Republican debate. Yeah. It, the keyword there is Republican. Sure. For some reason on their panel, they have Harold Ford. Yes. He on, sits in on the five a lot on Fox. Which is fine. You know, I, the, but the premise of the five is, hey, there's always some wacky Democrat who's the punching bag. It sure. was Bill Beckel or whatever his name was for years. And Geraldo was on there. Mm-hmm. And um but this is a Republican debate, and you have a former Democrat congressman on this panel talking about Republican Party. Why would you do that? Why would anybody want to watch a Democrat congressman tell you what he thinks of the Republican primary debate? Um, I think it's just an interesting spin. Maybe they're trying to present both sides. It's 20 after 10, by the way, with Wait, but, 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 I get it in a, in a, like, hey, it's Biden against Trump. I get that. Why would you want both sides? People are tuning in because they're they're Republicans. Yeah. They're seeing the Republican debate, and you got this Democrat up there flapping his gums. I turned it off until the thing started. Another thing that was interesting, it was reported that afterwards, you know, they've got the spin room with all the talking heads, and the candidates all go in and kind of recap their performance. Uh, apparently, security blocked uh, Don Jr. from being in that room. I thought the Trump people were allowed to go. I thought the Not ba- all of them, I uh, guess. I guess not. Only select. I still do. People. I still do not understand why, if the guy flipped a middle finger at you, you allowed his people in to to the to the to spin for the guy. When why he, would you? When he wasn't even there to speak for himself. Yeah, you didn't yeah. even care enough to show to show up to the the debate. I don't understand why you would give him a platform or his people a platform to tell you how great he is. He clearly doesn't think anything of you. Well, it was uh, Mike Pence and Vivek Ramaswamy. They were the first ones to really take some serious shots at one another. And after Mike Pence answered a question, Ramaswamy kind of criticized him. And then this is the part where Chris Christie got. Got in there and called Ramaswamy what Chat GPT. I, I, look, I got to freely admit, and I tweeted this out, and it got a bunch of responses. Was Christie being racist? I d- he said it so fast, yeah, because he'd already, I think, at this point, made the comment about him being the funny-looking guy in a suit, and the last time that was Obama, mm-hmm. and then he called him Chat GPT. And I've gone back and listened to it again. He clearly says that, so I'm not disputing that. But he said it so fast, I thought he called him Chi-Chi something, <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, was Chris Christie just super <laughs> racist? At the well, I thought I thought Vivek handled it well because he was like, yeah. You want to give me a hug? Like what happened when Obama was <laughs> debating? And Chris- so, for the, so for those who don't know what Casey's talking about, when Chris Christie was the governor of New Jersey, there was a huge hurricane. Sandy, was that the, mm-hmm. was that the name of it, I think, uh, in 2012? And this was like 
a month before the election. And Obama's, uh, this was after Romney, it had that great first debate, I think, and Obama was vulnerable. And there's this huge hurricane and Christie invites Obama, meets him at the airport. They're literally walking on a beach together. It looked like something out of a Fabio dime store novel type of thing. And a lot of people believe that Chris Christie's embrace and support of Obama stemmed the tide back to Obama in that election. Yeah, and that's why Vivek was asking for the hug. And Chris Christie said that he was dealing with an amateur. And I've heard Vivek answer this question differently in the past. He didn't say it last night, which kind of surprised me because a lot of people are calling out, oh, he's he's too young, he's too inexperienced. And his answer, while he's been on the road, has been, you know, Thomas Jefferson was only 30. Yeah. So don't <laughs> good, good point. Don't uh don't take my age into it. But it was Mike Pence and Vivek and I I pulled these two audio clips specifically for you Rob because of your endearing fondness for Mike Pence. Uh Vivek just pretty much obliterates Mike Pence during the debate. You got people on this stage that won't even talk about issues like Social Security and Medicare. I mean Vivek you recently said uh, a president can't do everything. Well, I got news for you, Vivek. I've been in the hallway. I've been in the West Wing. A president of the United States has to confront every crisis facing America. I will put our nation back on the path to growth and prosperity and restore fiscal responsibility, just as I did in Congress and as governor Mr. Vice president. and when I was vice president. But, yeah, I mean, we've hold on. Spot yeah, hold on. I was, so you I were was named earlier. Both. I'm going to give Vivek first. We'll get to both of yeah, This isn't that complicated, guys. Unlock American energy. Drill, frack, burn coal, embrace nuclear. Put people back to work by no longer paying them more to stay at home. Reform the U.S. Fed, stabilize the U.S. dollar, and go to war. The only war that I will declare as U.S. president will be the war on the federal administrative state that is the source of those toxic regulations acting like a wet blanket on the economy. So I'm not sure I exactly understood Mike Pence's comment, but I'll let you all parse that out. For me, it's pretty simple. That's something a U.S. president can do with focus, and I'll deliver on it. Well, let me explain it to you. Let me explain it to you, (laughs) Nope. Your time is up. I thought that Vivek did a good job of highlighting the importance of energy independence. He was probably the winner last night, wasn't he? I I mean, I mean, we were all losers as a collective for being subjected to it. But I mean, (laughs) if if you were to say this guy, clearly um, nothing is an accident that happens in these debates, by the way. And uh, clearly people were way more focused on. Vivek than they were DeSantis. So there must be some sort of internal polling mm-hmm. that shows he's he's the guy. Now, look, here's what I will say about Ramaswamy. He is, uh, he's done far better than I thought. We talked about that yesterday. You have been right thus far. I have been wrong. But look, Herman Cain was winning at one point as well. And so there's a long way to go. We'll see when the votes get tallied. But there is a certain charm and charisma about him like a wacky he's almost like a a lovable sidekick character in a in a movie or sitcom with your favorite comedic actor where you're like that's such an endearing character you would not want him being the main character Mm -hmm. but there is like Seth Green was kind of that way in a bunch of movies in the 90s and and 2000s he's almost like the Seth Green of this of these uh, these debate these debates this primary However, isn't there something about Ramaswamy that you say, and I tweeted this out last night at Robin Kendall on Twitter, 
What is the sketchiest thing Ramaswamy has ever sold to someone else? Mm. Because he definitely strikes you as the sort of guy who in high school was like, hey, come look in my trunk and see if there's anything that, that, <laughs> that you well, like. Well, he's a businessman, and he's used to doing presentations in front of very important people. Sure. Right? He's got a, like a $4 million contract with the state of Indiana. Right. So it's, it's that ABC, always be closing, and that's what he's doing. And I think he took a lot of, of the um, attention that we would have been directed towards Trump in a way he was like the surrogate Trump. Yeah, you're right. And he's he definitely is. A, look, it's over unless something just totally unforeseen happens with Donald Trump. Donald Trump is going to be the nominee. And I can't even imagine what it would be at this point. But the, the last night proved it. Nobody's interested in these people, especially not compared to Trump. Trump blows them out of the water with the little pre-rehearsed Q&A with Tucker Carlson or pre-taped Q&A with Tucker Carlson. Mm -hmm. This is, if you're into politics, this is cool. It's nerdy. It's kind of fun. You know, it gives us some good audio to play and good commentary and it does the show for us. But other than that, none of these people are going to be president. You know, when it comes to the Tucker thing, I'm really curious, how long was the actual interview? Did they go for hours and Tucker selected his favorite clips? Oh, it definitely looked edited. I mean, they did this stuff. I mean, this them. wasn't a one-shot deal. Yeah, no, no. They did stuff walking around, and there was all sorts of promo stuff. And that I don't have any issue with that. TV does that, that, does that all the time. But, uh, hey, voicemails are coming up next. We've got some really... Really, really good voicemails, including one about uh, about mail-in balloting that I think is super interesting. All right. You're listening to Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC. It's time to hear from you. Kendall and Casey present Voicemails. Brought to you by QC Kinetics for non-surgical regenerative medicine treatments at 317-559-PAIN. I'm so sorry you have just reached my answering machine. If you'd like to participate in the show, we would love your contribution at 317-684-8444-1033. It's Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC. All right. So one of the things we've been talking about quite a bit here recently on the program, and I don't know, maybe it's because I'm reaching that phase of my existence where... I've just become old man who yells at clouds. I don't know. But (laughs) in all seriousness, I think this is a very serious issue, is the rapidly changing landscape that has come to define Indiana. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking in terms of the makeup of of geography and, and specifically this very weird obsession with the governor of the state of Indiana and then that has certainly trickled down into communities across central Indiana. I'm not sure outside of the 465, uh, you know, the donut counties, that this is quite as bad. But it has certainly become a major issue in central Indiana, which is the complete demolition at an incredibly alarming pace of cornfields and bean fields and beautiful skyline and this obsession with putting as many things there as we possibly can primarily high-density residential housing. Mm -hmm. We talked about that yesterday. And it is something that I think is really resonating with people because we're getting a lot of commentary about this and a lot of people weighing in on it. And one of the things that I've cautioned people on, and it took me a while to learn this, 
is when when someone brings a proposed large economic development proposal to your community, they're going to tell your local government two things. And we're about to do local government 101 here, Casey. So you will be an educated person. Not you specifically, but our, our audience will be educated. They sell these local governments when they ask for tax incentives on two things. One is the assessed value of the building. The other is the jobs that it brings. And it was very early on. It took me a while because I started studying as soon as I was elected, really hit the ground running. But very early on in my term, after a lot of studying, I suddenly realized the jobs really don't matter because unless this is a job that is paying the average worker $150,000 a year, the job may very likely be filled by someone who doesn't necessarily even live in your community and communities don't benefit for the most part there is some but not a lot on wages people make and when your community does something based on the amount of jobs something's going to create oftentimes in the modern indiana because we're always bragging about how low our unemployment is that means that people from outside of the state of indiana are going to be moving into these communities in order to fill those jobs. Well, those people don't have existing homes, which means Mm -hmm. you have to build housing for those people to be able to live. So what this economic boom, to go back to something we talked about to start the hour with, with Suzanne Crouch and that income tax proposal, Mm -hmm. has done is it has created bigger government, less efficient government, higher tax government, and it has created a flood of people from outside of the state of Indiana moving into our state, which is destroying the landscape that has come to define communities across central Indiana. I got a phone call about this exact thing set up perfectly uh, with the, the homes and the housing and how they want to pack subdivisions filled with houses that all look alike and have no character, as you say. Uh, there is a subdivision up where I live in Hamilton County. Um, back in 2007 to 2009-ish, they built 10 to 15 homes in the subdivision. Uh, each was unique in its own little way. Uh, these homes were mansions, though they were six hundred fifty to seven hundred fifty thousand uh, dollars at that time. And then someone—I'm not exactly sure what happened. Someone new took over. I don't know if it was an HOA or someone took over the developmental rights to that subdivision. I don't—I don't know a lot about that kind of stuff. But then they started building these cookie cutter houses, and these houses were. Four hundred to five hundred thousand dollar houses. Yeah, they're still expensive, but it not only devalued the the uh, value of the the original fifteen houses, but they all started. They all look the same. If you drive through it, you can tell which ones are the original fifteen houses in that subdivision and which ones were built later. It's like night and day, um, and it's like you said. They just want to pack these subdivisions fill, full of these cookie cutter houses and. Yeah, they buy up all this farmland and they just pack them full. So um, it's happening everywhere. Hamilton County, I think, is one of the fastest growing counties in America right now. Unfortunately, we have all these people from liberal states moving in here. So Hamilton County is becoming bluer and bluer by the day, unfortunately. And I think that's the story for many, many places. And 
look, you got to the, the I don't know the case. I don't know what this. And I think the most concerning thing for me is I don't think there's a way to reverse it now. I think the govern local governments have so irresponsibly grown these communities. that what are you going to do? Tear them down now? Reinstitute the field? No, they're there. Yeah, you're stuck. Yeah, pave paradise and put up a parking lot. You're uh, right. Well, what happens in many of these cases is it's going to be a builder. A builder goes in and buys a large amount of land and says, "Okay, we're going to make this a subdivision." And I, as a builder, offer three to four different houses for you to choose from. Sure, you can pick from uh, six or seven different siding colors, and you can pick from these different kitchen cabinets, but. For the most part, the floor plans are all the same. And the builder, for the most part, does not live in your community. Like, if you ever go to a public hearing... No, he lives in the million-dollar house right. down the road. <laughs> it, I, one of my favorite things to do was when I was on in local government, and even now when I go to these meetings, is I always used to love, because you're required to give your address, and when it was these development projects... I would always hear the address. It was so-and-so, blah, 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 drive, Carmel, or so-and-so lane, Indianapolis. Mm -hmm. And I would sit there and go, well, this person is only here to make money off of our community and doesn't have to live here. And they're going to pack up when it's done and cash their check and say adios. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm here the next 20 years and got to deal with the ramifications of this. And it just... Sadly, we can't have people as bright as me in all the positions in local government, Casey. <laughs> uh, speaking of people getting out of Indiana, people lamenting what Indiana's become, we got a phone call about that. Hey, Kendall and Casey. I'm calling about your recent comments about people flocking to states like Texas, Tennessee, and Florida. I'll say I'm a longtime listener, and as of a few weeks ago, a former Hoosier. Um, my family moved to Florida for the many reasons you mentioned, and the top was no state income tax on the weather. I mean, Indiana has tornadoes, but at least with hurricanes, you have a bit more time to prepare. Um, and when the pandemic struck and we were all stuck at home, I couldn't even enjoy the outdoors because the weather in Indiana in March, April, and early May is cold and crappy. Part of why Florida does not have an income tax is because of tourism. I just don't know how Indiana is going to compete with that. Schools is another big one. I have a young child. And, Rob, I know you love Brownsburg, but the schooling options in Indiana right now just can't touch the options here in Florida. As your child grows the way Indiana's going, she'll, she'll face pushback and possible discipline because of what you teach her at home is different from what the um, public schools teach her um, in Indiana, even including elementary school. Um, since moving, my stress level has plummeted, and maybe that's because I'm not dealing with Dr. Box and Lockdown McGee. I love you guys' show. It's one of the very few things I miss about Indy, and I'm thankful I can still stream the show. Thanks. Bye-bye. Mm, thanks for the call. Uh, yeah, huge migration to those states. Seven states in the nation with no individual income tax. Indiana does have one of the lower ones. I just want to be transparent about yeah that. but that's but casey again look at what they did look property taxes is the perfect example in 2008 when they cut the capped fake capped whatever we want to call it because if you can raise the property tax above the cap then it's not capped but when they fake capped the property tax what they do they raise the sales tax they don't cut taxes yeah, here it's they, the shell game they figure out a way to lie to you i mean if you look at the collective taxation of our state it is not actually all that low, which is, well, we're run by Republicans. So that's the way, you know, Republicans operate. They're big government people. They believe in big spending and they just bank on the Democrats being completely insane on social issues to help them keep getting, uh, 
keep getting uh, reelected. All right, uh, what's next, Kev? Hey, Rob. Hey, Casey. Um, the uh, mail-in balloting, just uh, FYI, my dad has been – he passed away back in 2010, and in 2020 – we did get a mail-in ballot with his name on it, which, shocking, no, not at all. Um, but anyway, I just want to let you know, and yeah, that that ballot um, did stay at home and didn't go anywhere. But anyway, um, yeah, I just want to let you know, yeah, that, that is definite fact. We definitely have a uh, pretty serious problem with that stuff. Anyway, guys, have a good day. Oh, by the way, love you, Casey. (laughs) Uh, One of the things that Donald Trump was talking with Tucker about last night is that he believes in-person voting with identification. Yes. And it should be on Election Day. Absolutely. Now, then this is why, and I see Ethan's in the chat. We love Ethan. Everyone should totally listen to his Saturday night on The Circle show. But this is why, and we kind of lives in WIBC infamy now, the little mm-hmm. spirited back and forth Ethan and I had. And I love Ethan, but this is why I got frustrated with him for being dismissive about the mass mail-in unaccountable balloting. Mm-hmm. This guy, I mean, do you accept that this guy is lying? If you don't, then think about how many tens, twenties, thirty, forty, fifties of thousands of people who are going through the same experience. Now, luckily, this guy is an above-board dude and said, I'm not filling it out, and right. I'm you know, I'm putting it where it came from, and I'm going to be above-board. But when you couple that with the fact that, and it is well-documented, that the post office has a bunch of people delivering mail now who are not even post office employees. Right. They're not even wearing post office uniforms. They're just wearing shorts and T-shirts. Contractors. And I look, I, you know, many times we've talked about I love my mailman, the mailman, the official yeah. mailman of the Hammer and Nigel show. But he took a vacation for two weeks, and my wife ordered something, and it ended up getting delivered two blocks away from where we live. Now, thankfully, this lady was very, very nice. It gave me faith in humanity. She actually brought it to her house and said, hey, here, I got this this thing. Well, if it's happening with something, you know, like that, why wouldn't it be happening with ballots? You have no idea where these ballots are going. You have no idea who's delivering them. You have no idea who's getting them. And the idea that you would be totally dismissive of, well, Trump and his voter fraud, he just needs to move on. Example A, Your Mm -hmm. Honor, to Mm -hmm. the jury. Mm -hmm. I mean, come on. Yeah, uh, Mike Pence probably should have paused the electoral votes before he certified. He should have had a little bit more of a curious mind and investigated that just a little bit farther. Speaking of curious minds, Hammer's next. It's Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC. you but i had a good time playing hammer and nigel bingo last night i got a bingo i got a call yeah that was awesome the b column down Mm -hmm. um yeah that was a winner and uh we almost had a couple other different directions one shy in a couple different areas yeah i i called the doug bingo burgum (laughs) <laughs> Once he had there. to remind us who he was and yeah. where he was from, that was the bingo. Uh, I was very disappointed. Apparently, he tore his Achilles. I thought it was a testicle injury. That was why he <laughs> might have been missing the debate, but I guess he let it out that he was, it was. you said it was an Achilles. Yeah, he tore his Achilles. Yeah, it's kind of disappointing. He missed a big opportunity to like walk up there right before it begins, like Willis Reed limping up there, ripping off the warm-up jacket and saying, I'm here, let's play. Yeah, and you 
you know what you're uh, whether you're Bergam or Ada Asia or whatever the other guy's name is, <laughs> those are the two most boring guys on the stage. Nobody knows who you are. How are you that boring? <laughs> there are some people that don't need to come back, and those two uh-huh. are number one and two on that list. Yeah. Like they were given the opportunity. All right. Nobody knows you guys compared to the other folks on the stage. Okay. So we're gonna give you the opportunity to play ball with the big kids. And nothing. Crickets. Remember that guy who was Ross Perot's vice presidential pick? He Stockdale. Was Stockdale. Thank you. Yes. I mean, he was this just obscure admiral guy. And this was when Perot was still in the hunt, you know, for, for the whole thing. And he picks this randomly obscure guy and he gets up during the debate and he plays it perfect. And he just goes, I know what you're thinking. Who am I? <laughs> Why am I here? And to this day, whatever that was, 31 years later, mm-hmm. we're still talking about it. Yeah. If you're Bergam or Aza Ada or whatever his name is, how are you not having just the one-liners? I mean, that's all you got. Just boom, right. boom, 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 boom. I think they could have thinned that herd by about five. I, I agree. Agree. I mean, Christie is not going to win. Pence is not going to win. But at least you knew they were there yeah. last night. They were ready to go after people. Mm-hmm. Like, clearly the consultant told Mike Pence, yeah, the uh, the perception of you is that you're a wimp. Yeah. And uh, we're going to need you to be Johnny Tough Guy. Well, you know, Pence is a big phony tough guy where behind the scenes he's a real bully. But then he'll come out into people's faces and act like, oh, I'm just the nicest guy in the history of ever. And uh, the... Mike, Mike Pence is really, there's a lot of big side of the Pence family, you know, Greggy too. We all remember Keel Brothers Oil Company and the disaster that that was. Uh, that are, they're just nasty people. And you are seeing, and you saw it with Tucker. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's always a moment if you hear uh, people, you know, who survive horrific events with horrific people. I'm not going to use the word serial killers, but horrific events with horrific people <laughs> where they say you see the person turn right and that mike pence with tucker on that stage was the turn where the nice guy mask Mm -hmm. gets dropped because mike pence is used to people kissing his ass and telling him how great he is so what you're saying is that that was mike pence's nwo moment with hulk hogan (laughs) because remember hulk hogan leaves the you know wwf at the time he joins ted turner's wcw he's the hero everybody loves hulkamania (laughs) And he goes into the ring and he turns on Randy yeah. Macho Man Savage and starts the NWO. Yeah, Mike Pence is, a, <laughs> you know, to steal a line from Donald Trump, Mike Pence is a nasty man. Nasty. I felt like he was trying, like, he felt like he was owed something as the former vice president. And many times he waited for the crowd to calm down before he started to talk. Like, pay attention to me. These are just governors and yeah. wannabes. I'm a former vice president. Like, he was very self-important throughout the entire debate. point where he's fighting with Ramaswamy, mm-hmm. well, let me explain it to you slower. Yeah. Like, oh, look out. Yeah. <laughs> Mr. Tough Guy is here. I'm it reminds me of that he... scene in Kingpin where Big Earn McCracken <laughs> sees that... Uh, Munson is actually going to compete, and he goes, oh, look out. (laughs) That's what it was last night. But at least you knew he was there. Yeah, I know. I agree. We could officially get rid of Hutchinson. Hutchinson was the worst. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He talked about the insurrection. Mm -hmm. Like, it sounded like a Democrat on Mm -hmm. the stage last night. Absolutely. So, yeah, I think we can get rid of Burgum and, and Hutchinson. And look, I mean, if you are still at 3% after running for president for four or five months, 
I think you got to go. I mean, Nikki Haley, what are you doing? Tim Scott, what? I mean, what? What are? What are we doing here? I think you put out this tweet last night because we were all tweeting and mm-hmm. sharing. And Most things. of us. Most of us were. Um, <laughs> if you're somebody that has donated to Hutchison's campaign. <laughs> right. Explain yourself. There's some guy, and he's a super nice guy, and he's a local guy. And I won't even name him because I don't want to embarrass him, but he's a nice guy. I think he's working for Hutchinson as like a you know state coordinator or whatever. And I was seeing his tweets pop up. Hutchinson really, really showing a lot of poise out there. Really, really, you know, <laughs> dude. That's have a you, spin. Have you no dignity or self-respect? That's like the rookie driver in the Indy 500 that hasn't crashed, but he's in last place. Look at all the poise. <laughs> he's Stingray Rock. God bless him. Hutchinson is Stingray Rob. What's coming up this afternoon? Uh, You're going to come by and go off the rails. We have a Thursday appearance from Guy Relford because we want him to explain what gun owners can do when you're pulled over by the police. This is in regards to that body cam video. Thank you, Hammer. This is Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC.